So, <laughs> you looked up what the Theorbo... The, the, Theorbo? Yes, we're ready. Let's go. Come on. Okay. All right. All right. All right. It's already noon. But do you know how to play the recorder? Because you can't be like a prince without knowing how to play the recorder. Hello, and welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter five of the book Prince Caspian. Uh, This chapter is titled Caspian's Adventure in the Mountains. Um, I am a member of the great house of the Passerids that was sent by King Moraz. (laughs) To fight giants in the northern frontier until we all died, Uh, also known as Kristen. And my co-host today... I am one of the seven noble lords who, alone among all Telmarines, did not fear the sea, also known as Chris. Welcome. Welcome. We got there. We did. That was a a struggle. It's been a morning. It's it's noon now. Uh Uh-huh. But we voted today. Yay. We voted. We're being patriotic. Yeah. I put my vote down for as a write-in for Prince Caspian. Who did you vote for? I don't know. Are we doing official endorsements on this podcast? Are we gonna <laughs> Are we gonna give a candidate that uh that Narnia bump? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm a little sad because you're not recording while on top of your fancy new exercise ball. It's. I thought it, that was gonna keep you focused for the episode. It, it would distract me so much. <laughs> it is so difficult for me to stay still on that. Mm-hmm. Especially because it's difficult for me to stay still when I'm sitting anyway. Like That is true. Also, trying to sit on a yoga ball is a difficult thing. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, this is an interesting chapter. A lot of lore. A lot of yes. deep lore gets built up in this chapter. A lot of, a lot of intrigue and like drama. Like we got a lot to talk about, so do you want to just go jump in and do our summary? Sure thing. Cool. Um, so as we are reading through the chapters, we select uh, out of the chapter five sentences and try to retell the chapter in its own words um, in just five sentences. So each of us do this, and I'll go ahead and start with mine. The queen has had a son. Your life is in danger here. Try to get across the southern border to the court of King Nain of Arkenland. Then, almost too suddenly to hurt, and yet it did hurt him too, something struck Caspian on the forehead, and he knew no more. There was a great deal more talk, but it all ended with the agreement that Caspian should stay, and even the promise that as soon as he was able to go out, he should be taken to see what Trumpkin called the Others, For apparently in these wild parts, all sorts of creatures from the old days of Narnia still lived on in hiding. Mm Mm-hmm. We did not choose a single sentence in common that time. Wow, I I expected you to use the last sentence. No. So, uh, no, yours is much shorter and more succinct than mine, I think, but... uh, So here is my summary. And one night, while all this fuss was going on, Caspian was unexpectedly wakened by Dr. Cornelius after he had been only a few hours in bed. Dear Prince, you must leave this castle at once and go seek your fortune in this wide world. Destrier was as excited as his master at this unusual journey, and Caspian, though tears had come into his eyes at saying goodbye to Dr. Cornelius, felt brave and, in a way, happy to think that he was King Caspian riding to seek adventures with his sword on his left hip and Queen Susan's magic horn on his right. And Caspian knew 
that he had found the old Narnians at last. Mm -hmm. This is the true king of Narnia we've got here. A true king coming back to true Narnia. So, (laughs) there I go. I find the reception of Caspian, like that last sentence, the true king, like... Very interesting. I'm sure we're going to have a lot to discuss about it, but, Mm -hmm. like, I find just the general reception of Caspian to be very uh, interesting, and I'm much more in line with, like, Nicobrick's thinking than, like, Trumpkin's thinking. You would. Well, I just would expect more. The the violent murderous dwarf. Yes. We'll get to him. We will. Um, Anyway. Bolts and bolsters. (laughs) Whistles and whirligigs. Horns and halibuts. (laughs) Beards and bedsteads. This is apparently a thing. This is how dwarves curse, apparently. Like, they just list two random things that both start with the same letter, and that's about it. That's their whole convention they have. Uh, anyway, so we start out. It's been a couple years, uh, or it's been time has passed, and Caspian's been learning from Cornelius about all the things. Mm-hmm. There's an exhaustive list of all these things he's been learning. Yep, fighting. Um, sword and... fighting and cosmography and rhetoric, heraldry. But not navigation. No. Because that's that involves the sea. No. King Moraz yeah. is ardently opposed to anything to do with the sea. That's a bad time. Uh, I did look up one of these things that uh, not everybody might be super familiar with. Uh, versification. Had you were you familiar with what this is? Isn't versification like the like discourse? Uh, no, that's more rhetoric. Versification is apparently the study of the structure of prose Poet- and specifically poetics. Prose. Poems. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Study of verse, basically. Yeah. Which okay. is a very specific thing that you wouldn't think, you know, a king would need to know how to do. You have to be able to appreciate poetry if you're going to have, like, you know, uh, uh, someone entertaining the castle. Yeah. Not like, I'm, not, I'm trying to think <laughs> of not a jester, a bard. Bard no. is the word I was looking for yeah, and I go. couldn't get to. If he's going to have his own bard. I was like, like Master Dandelion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. I'm looking for the word bard. Um, and he learned the theory of magic, though not practice, because it's not... So apparently it's not good for princes to study magic. Yes, um, which I find very, very worth looking into because we have established in the magician's nephew that this kind of idea of the ability to use magic is deeply associated with royalty um and so that's that's all like this almost kind of universal thing like in charn and even on earth when she talks about the way that the magician looks and you could see the noble blood in him and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and um then we just kind of leave it alone. like, mm-hmm. And with The Magician's Nephew having been written after the fact, that was kind of like a something introduced later. Mm-hmm. But it's very much something that we do see kind of having magic follow these royal lines, like the prophecies about Kor and the way that Aslan follows Kor through all of the horse and his boy and things like that. So, and... Even this way that Susan's magic horn has come into Caspian's hands. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was something that we could dig into a little bit where it's like 
Caspian is introduced to the theory of magic, but it's not practical for him to learn magic. Mm -hmm. Also, magic being something one can learn, as opposed to the way that it's introduced in Magician's Nephew as something that you either have or don't. Yes. So it's a bit of retconning with magic here. Uh, Dr. Cornelius says that he does know a bit of magic. He's not like a decent magician by any means, but he's got a little bit. Yep. Uh, And we have another example in this chapter of, you know, a layperson using magic that is not considered to be evil, which is interesting because that's only happened a couple times. Yes, because the study of magic has been the corrupting force of Mm -hmm. the seeking of power for other characters in Mm -hmm. the series, Mm -hmm. which was written after the fact of this. So it might be something that Lewis decided was going to be a thing later that this power corrupts. Yeah. Or just forgot about it and was just like, what does magic do again? Oh, yeah, it's evil. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we've only had a couple examples of this in the previous books. Uh, The only notable one I can think of being the hermit Mm -hmm. uh, that we run into. uh, Who uses magic with no moral qualities put onto it, really. Which, even then, it's a very limited kind where he's just like, yeah, I have this magic pool that lets me see stuff. Yeah. But that's... That's kind of it. Um, anyway, so he's learning from Cornelius, and then there's some hustle and bustle happening in the castle as uh, Queen Prismia appears to be sick, and like there's all these people coming in and out. Uh, well, we also have, before we get to that, we have Caspian growing and learning to see more um, with, with more open-minded eyes. Mm-hmm what the structure of the authority looks like and the fact that King Miraz is a bad king, is a cruel king, and that Prismia doesn't like him, mm-hmm. and, like uh, Caspian, and yes. things of this nature. So we do have this kind of growth being described in Caspian as he is learning how to have his eyes open and see mm-hmm. things for maybe a little more the way that they are. He's using a sight. Yes. You know, opening that third eye. Anyway. Um... Yeah, and also is dumb, uh, because, like, I don't know, like, at this point how much he's interacting with his aunt and uncle in the castle, and, like, he's oot in a boot, but at the same time, at at no point does he notice that Prinipresmi is pregnant, which... I mean... You know, that's if, a, it's a... If parents, if, if people are not <sighs> telling kids that someone's pregnant, then, like, kids don't know. Okay. And also, like, there's no telling whether or not this was a full-term pregnancy. Like, he may not have even been able to notice with what she was wearing or whether or not he saw her because she was being cared for as a pregnant woman in royalty. Yeah. Like, she may have been in bed for the last month or whatever. Who knows? Like... Yeah, possibly. I'm just a cynic. Um... (laughs) So all this hubbub and... But there's no actual discussion. And even and even if he did know that she was pregnant, mm-hmm. which is not stated blatantly that he didn't know this, what happens is he doesn't realize that if the king has a son, mm-hmm. there could be a problem for him because he has no... Like, other than the history lessons he's been getting from his tutor, which have not said, hey, by the way... Your aunt could have a son and you would have a problem. But, like, also still, he could know she was pregnant and that she might still have a girl. And there would be no concern whatsoever for his safety if she had a girl because that's the way that the structure works in this society. Uh Uh-huh. In fact, 
like, she might be forced to marry Caspian one day in order to have Miraz's descendants have the throne uh-huh. after Caspian. I mean, apparently Cornelius thinks he should have been aware of this because at some point he's, he's basically like, just like, I taught like, you stupid. history. Like, yes. <laughs> How do you not get this? Absolutely. Um, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have those lessons. Like we, you know, we're, we're jumping ahead in the plot. Prunaprismia is pregnant, has a baby. Cornelius comes and, you know, gets Caspian in the middle of the night and just like, I, you got to get out of here. Like we're going, I got a wallet for you. You're going to stuff it with meat. Which is a really amusing mental image if you like <laughs> a picture of, like a modern wallet. Yeah, it's like just right, fold up some bacon. All right, in all right. There. here's a little fold up wallet and like stuff as much chicken and like grapes in there as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, get your sword. Chicken and grapes. I like that. Those are the wallet meats <laughs> you go for. You know, gra- grape is my favorite wallet meat. <laughs> grapes, the wallet meat of choice for the modern American man. These are really weird ads we're putting in this podcast today. <laughs> um, he gets his satchel and like he's ready to go, and, and they have this whole conversation where Cornelius is just like, "So by the way, your uncle is not a great dude. <laughs> um, apparently, you're the only one who doesn't know this, but he's a usurper and he killed your father and he, you know, took the <gasps> throne." No! <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> great luke skywalker impersonation you did there yep um and got rid of anybody who might be a naysayer in the entire kingdom like there's this long long list of people true uh yeah he killed a very long list of people like tell us some of the names of all of the people that miraz killed uh so yeah obviously killed caspian's father uh didn't kill his mother according to this but you know all the great lords who had known his father died or disappeared uh, Belisar and Uvalis were shot by arrows on a hunting party. Uh, the Great House of the Passerids, which you're from in this episode, went to fight giants. Arlian and Araman, and a dozen more he executed for treason. Uh, the two brothers of Beaver's Dam. Uh, these seven noble lords that didn't fear the sea, that he was like, alright, go find something out there, don't come back. So, like, these dozens and dozens of people that were in power and country, basically he took down all of them. Yep. Um... Apparently, really smart dude because nobody was able to realize what was happening. Apparently, and not come for him in the middle of all this. Uh, yeah, basically, and took all the power in the country for himself. Yep. And he is like, and he didn't even pretend to be king at first. Yeah, he just was Lord Protector, the Lord Protector, until such time as he could get rid of enough of his opposition that he could then have his followers call for him to take on the mantle of king. Mm-hmm. So that's a thing. Uh, and Caspian's just like, what? Didn't know any of this, et cetera, et cetera. And then they have the conversation about how really bad for him that Prunaprismi is having a kid. That's why he needs to leave. A boy, specifically. Yes. She had a son two hours ago, and you need to run. Your life's in danger. Yep. And just hurries him out. (sighs) Sends him towards Arkenland. So we've now established that Arkenland still exists. Yes, and we have King Nain. Mm-hmm. of Arkenland. So do you think that he is Na's younger brother, or do you think he has a younger brother named oh, Nainan? Well, we, we, we won't get it. <laughs> that, that's uh, that's most of what my baseless speculation segment's about, okay, so we'll okay, get into okay. that later. But uh, Na and Yeah, yeah I, I got some stuff. Um, but apparently, there's good people in Arkenland still, because he sends them that way, and it's like, a, you need to get into Arkenland, so 
there's not necessarily a, a free and open border and an alliance between Arnie and Arkhamland at this point. Yeah, and based on the how untraveled the roads that he has to take to get there are, mm-hmm. like, yeah, there's there's it's clear evidence that like, which I, I think we should pause there and discuss this a little bit because this implies the you know thousand years ago whatever the Telmarines came over from the distant west. And they're an invasion force, and they came in, and they took Narnia by force, and, you know, for whatever reason, didn't bother with Arkenland? Or maybe they got repelled, what or... it kind of feels like is that, like, they drew almost like a line at the river, and they were like, we are going to take over the northern part of Narnia to the river and let the woods grow up as a barrier or something between yeah. the mountains and us and, and the sea and us, you know, as this... This kind of like bubble, yeah. You know the way that the desert protects Arkham Land from the Calamines. <laughs> it's apparently a thing. Uh, yeah, that's kind of raises the question though, because this is the second time we've seen this with like you know the the Tisrock and the other book wanting to go up and invade Narnia, and like the Telmarines actually pull it off, and they come from the west, and like as it's presented in the books, other than the fact that. You know, it has these magical talking critters and, like, all these fantasy creatures there, which is what makes Narnia special. Um, you know, the Which Telmer- the Arkenlanders are familiar with. Yeah, and the Telmarines come in and murder all them. But other than that, there's nothing terribly special about Narnia. Like, it's a small country, doesn't, like, you know, isn't sitting on piles of riches that we're aware of. Like, it's full of magical animals. But once you kill those, what's, what's the point? Yeah. Unless the Telmarines are, you know, it's not even, like... A practical thing, because and the Telmarines being like, oh, we need an access point to the sea, and we want a coastal defensive. So is Narnia at this point still an allegory for England? <laughs> or is it now like an allegory for, like, Palestine? Well, the Telmarines came from the West, so if it's an allegory for England, this is like America. <laughs> ah, the Americans. <laughs> yeah, they're or coming the French. in. I mean... France is east of England, but anyway. South. Yeah. Directly but... south. Yeah, south. Spaniards, east. Portuguese. Yeah. Coming up from southwest. Yeah. Uh, anyway. But do not lecture me on geography, <laughs> sir. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But the Telmarines are coming in from the west to take over this land for what? Because they don't want the sea. They, won't, they don't want the ports or, like, mm. you know, coastal access. Yeah, I don't know. So. I don't know. And, like, what do the Calarmans want with it? Like, everybody wants to invade Narnia and take control of Narnia. Well, the Calarmans really just wanted, you know, Rabidash wanted Susan. And apparently it's, like, this unlawful area, so everyone has to come bring civility to the Narnians. Those barbarians in the north. Yep. Anyway, so this whole thing happens. They have the conversation about how, you know, obviously Mraz is going to want to kill him. He needs to take off. Uh, he gives him a present. Yes, two presents. Mm-hmm. Some some money. Some gold, whatever, who cares. And, <laughs> and also... Queen Susan's magical horn. Mm-hmm. Which he had to utter many spells in order to be able to get and all of this stuff. Yeah, so do we think that Cornelius 
like found the ruins of Care Paravel and went into the treasure room and just took this horn or do we no, think No, cuz like she it... was wearing it when she went back like when they were hunting. Like okay. how did it end up just not disappearing in the passageway? Yeah. Between the worlds. Like how 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 <laughs> how how how? Like how did he find this horn? Did she leave it on her horse when she got off the horse and started wandering around the lamppost? And, like, yeah. one of the servants that was just watching them disappear, mm-hmm. uh, like, caught the horse? Did the horse, like, did they not have any servants with them? I thought they did. And it was just the four of them, and they wandered off, and the horse just rode off into the sunset. It was a talking horse, wasn't it? Like... Uh, probably not, because we established that in Lester in wartime, they don't ride talking horses. Correct. So... But in the movie... The horse is a talking horse that that Edmund's riding. Inconsistencies in the plot and universe. Yep. Um, but yeah, this horn has apparently just been floating around Narnia for a thousand years, trading hands or being hidden in places, whatever. I mean, it's a magical horn. It is a magical, magical horn. Um, though this leads a lot of credence to what I was talking about, like in you know previous chapter with Cornelius being like key member of the resistance like he's been planning this for a while Mm. like he's been like i've spent a lot of effort i've cast a lot of spells trying to find this like obviously was trying to find this horn for a purpose and like you know was really ready to give it to prince caspian like this is the entire reason he's here yeah he's just like i need to get this horn to this kid he's gonna need to use this to become king like maybe it'll even summon the kings of old to come from you know the past and foreshadowing 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 yep uh very heavy foreshadowing you know in a book where we already <laughs> have read about how the kings of old have come back to narnia already yes <laughs> it's it's not mm-hmm. really foreshadowing at this point well i mean it's what's going to happen when he blows the horn at some point i'm sure like that's how they're going to cross paths uh it's possible yeah baseless uh, speculation mm-hmm. you took my point away <laughs> well you know what's going to happen in the book this is mainly my segment. Um, so, yeah, and... Well, in my base of speculation, then, since we've already touched on it, I was going to say, do you think that Caspian has blown the horn and that's what summoned them to begin with? And that's what dropped them in Care Paravel? Ooh, okay. So this is, yeah, we're talking about past situations and, like, maybe we, you know, catch up to the moment that he blows the horn mm-hmm. and nothing happens and he gets disappointed by that. Yep. But... Something happens. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I see where you're going with that. Or... Makes sense. Like you said, is are they going to be there and hear the horn and run to his rescue in that moment? Mm-hmm. Could happen either way. Um, anyway, we have our tearful goodbyes. We have saddled up the horse. Destrier? Is that how we're going to say it? Sure. Okay. Not a talking horse, obviously, but... Uh, Maybe, maybe not. Maybe we find out he's a talking horse at some point. Like, maybe that's, a, you know, going to be a Gwen situation. or. A... We'll, we'll see if he rolls <sighs> in the grass. That'll let us know. <laughs> we never we actually see him again. We never find the answer to that. Remember, we don't know if talking horses roll in the grass in Narnia or not. Yeah. Well, he ran off, so we don't know. <laughs> uh, and they say their goodbyes, and then Caspian sets off on this adventure. Sword on his hip, magic horn at the ready. He's delighted. Yeah. For someone who's literally running for his life, he is delighted to have well, this adventure. Well, I mean, he spent his entire childhood in a castle with, like, being raised by people that hate him and, you know, having to learn all these boring, dreadful things for, you know, taking position as king that he doesn't want still at this point. You know, like, the life that Thor <laughs> ended up having to yep. have. Yep. 
This is just a retelling of Cora's story right here. This is the alternate ending to Cora's story. Yeah. Uh, takes off. He's on an adventure. Has a nice afternoon nap. Going <laughs> on an adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's... I'm not going to say this is like a good line, but there's this very evocative line that I did want to read because I liked it um, on page 63 of my book. But when day came with a sprinkle of rain, and he looked about him and saw on every side unknown woods, wild heaths, and blue mountains, he thought how large and strange the world was and felt frightened and small. Mm. And like, that's a that's a good kind of sense uh, description for starting this adventure yeah and i and i like that line uh but soon he goes into you know not excitement mode starts riding further gets into the wild country rides through a you know gets into a dark pine forest is genuinely afraid that the trees are attacking him because yep. he has near misses with trees they're showing for a up while out of nowhere. As, as the rain comes as the wind comes mm-hmm. and he's heard all these stories about you know dark trees and attacking folk and like he's riding faster and faster through a forest which is not an advisable idea nope. uh because you're gonna get hit in the head with a branch or something and get knocked out which is exactly what happens here yep and then and then you're gonna come to and there's gonna be two dwarves and a badger arguing about whether or not they should kill you <laughs> well he wakes up <laughs> some firelit place hears voices and the first thing that we hear from one of these narnians spoilers that he finds is and now before it wakes up we must decide what to do with it kill it said another mm-hmm. so like we're already getting into like very violent territory yep and it's just like hey there's a couple of dwarves talking about killing a child in his sleep yep <laughs> so yep. so like we have found like the hardened resistance guerrilla fighters of old narnia and like you know, i don't think they're necessarily fighters they're just like because i think they're just survivors yeah, like these are the brown coats in Narnia. No, Wait. these are survivors. They are not an organized resistance. They're not an independence force. They're not I at civil war. This is just people who have been able to survive, and that's a feat. Because I, I, I'm holding on to the fact that they're resistance. So, I mean, so somebody's got to be throwing orders out to like Cornelius and all these people who are putting these plans in motion. Okay. You know the in the dwarf who just happens to conveniently find the. Uh, Horn yeah, of Susan, or no the the dwarf that's telling the story that finds okay yeah the kings and queens et do you cetera, think et cetera. do you think beards and bedsteads is the same person as bulbs and bolsters? I don't know. Um, do you I will. Think he's telling a first person account. Do you think that this is Nickabrick, the th- the violent wanting to kill him? No. See, Nickabrick is the is the black dwarf uh-huh. <laughs> with you know with the horse hair. Um, Trumpkin is the red dwarf uh-huh. and in my illustri- uh, illustration of this scene in the book we have nickabrick here and trumpkin who looks very much like the picture of the dwarf that we see in so it would have the to island be chapter trumpkin. yes because i thought that the dwarf on the island was a red dwarf yeah so they're both described as being red-haired dwarves and like he's wearing a very similar hat and very similar beard style so okay. i don't know could okay. could be the same guy and you know that's how he knows all this stuff about Prince Aspian. He's one of the three that found him. Uh, and we have this kind of triumvirate of critters. I guess dwarves aren't critters, but, you know, well, of whatever. beings here. Uh, and one one is the badger, who's the old and wise one, who is kind and being like, you know, we need to protect him because, like, this is a true king of Narnia. Truffle hunter. <laughs> Great name. 
We got Truffle Hunter. We got Nickabrick, who's the Black Dwarf, who's just like gonna kill him. Gur, Arg, let's take out all my anger on like the humans. And then we have like the more neutral party, who's Trumpkin. Not gonna make any jokes about the name. <laughs> uh, but we have Trumpkin, who's just like, uh, I don't know about all this. We shouldn't have cared for its wounds if we were going to kill it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now we're murdering a guest. Yes, he's violating his guest right. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a big no-no. Yep. Uh, but yeah, they give him some hot drinks, nurse him back to health, kind of, or at least the badger does. Uh, Caspian takes seeing the badger pretty well, I think. Like, he's yep. startled, but accepts it really fast. Yep. And, like, he, he starts getting excited, and he's just like, finally found these talking critters, like, found the true Narnians. And Nickabrick's like, you're gonna betray us, you're gonna betray us. <sighs> yeah. It's ob- gonna betray us. Obviously. Uh, he discusses that if they did, uh, Caspian says, if you did kill me, you would be doing the bidding of King Moraz. You'd be doing what he wants done because mm-hmm. he's trying to kill me. And Nickabrick jumps up with his <laughs> dagger. Yeah. What did you do at your young age to get on the bad side of the king? And he's ready to stab him right there and the other two have to hold them back yeah trumpkin and truffle hunter have to jump in and hold back nick a brick because he's just like i'm ready to kill him mm-hmm. there's an intense scene yep uh, but uh yeah we have this whole discussion that that's like probably at least half the chapter or third of the chapter is just this discussion between these three characters and truffle hunters being the voice of reason and just being like hey Hey, we got royalty here, like, Narnia is not a land of men, but a man has always had to be king, or a man, a man, human, always had to be king, like, you know, the golden age of Narnia, back was when we had a son of Adam on the throne, like, this is an opportunity. And he talks about how... He talks about how dwarves are as changeable as humans. Yes. And that... The, do- the the badgers remember. The animals they remember. remember. They don't change. They Beasts don't, don't change. change. So, I don't know. There's this uh, idea that maybe the more human something is, the more pliable and forgetful they are. Yeah. So, like, dwarves are basically, you know, close to humans in this, and, you know, their their minds are subject to influence and whatever. I'm wondering if maybe, like, fawns are, like, a halfway point. Interesting. <laughs> If, like, the fawns like, kind of... Like, centaurs and creatures that uh-huh. have, like, a human half or... Interesting. Uh, interesting. I don't think that that would be, like, fully something that I would, like, grab onto because of the fact that Tumnus has been this representative figure of, like, lore mm-hmm. and history and telling things as, you know, yeah. a communication point. Mm-hmm. But beasts don't forget, and... You know, Truffle Hunter is very much of the opinion that they need to, you know, nurture this kid and, you know, basically turn him into the king that they've been waiting for. And this is a chance for change to come back to Narnia and for it to come back into this golden age where the talking animals and whatnot don't have to but hide. But who believes in Aslan anymore? That's an interesting line, isn't it? It's like, Aslan has been absent from the goings-on of Narnia so long that, like, few people even believe in him even among the old narnians yeah yeah it's uh, kind of intense and like, his his existence is debated yeah i mean mm. and that question really stood out to me as like a who even believes in you know like and i mean if you don't know aslan's jesus so what? like we very much have this kind of like 
we we have no assurances that Aslan would return. Mm-hmm. But he comes and goes as he pleases. He's not a tame lion. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, he is also one of the talking beasts of Narnia. He's the king of Narnia. Like, yeah. And Nickabrick's just like, who even believes in Aslan anymore? And Caspian's like, I do. Mm-hmm. After meeting you even more so. If I even doubted it before, I don't know. So is this uh, an allegory for England becoming a more secular society? Mm, who even believes in Aslan anymore? Mm-hmm. And, possibly and i don't know it's i mean it's it really easy to draw a parallel with like real jesus and you know people just being like hey it's been two thousand years this guy hasn't come back yet where is he he's off across the sea doing who knows what yeah it's like we're going through hard times aslan decides not to show up yeah so yeah it's uh i i do find it interesting that you know this is one of those moments that lewis is kind of done a more direct christian parallel mm-hmm. uh-huh and yeah, hasn't really absolutely uh-huh and has decided to like pose these hard questions in the book when he could have easily done something entirely different with it and like when aslan is silent yeah so yeah there's there's some stuff to be said there um yeah and they come to a consensus we are able to silence nickabrick at least for the moment you know they threaten to sit on his head uh, <laughs> As a thing. It's um, very childish, but yeah. it's delightful. Yeah. Um, and then they decide that they're going to have to take Caspian to meet the others, whoever the others are. But there's more out there. But there, in these wild parts, all sorts of creatures from the old days of Narnia still lived on in hiding. Uh-huh. Well, reading the whole line there, there's a great deal more talk, but it all ended with the agreement that Caspian should stay and even the promise that as soon as he was able to go out, he should be taken uh, to see what Trumpkin called the others. So I think this is leading credence to my theory that, like, there is a network here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, where, like, there's some sort of leadership where, you know, they have to come to an agreement. Like, there's a organized group okay. of of the others that, you know, the he Council should be taking this. Yeah, talking animals or whatever. Yeah, like, there's something happening here. It's not just like... Happening here. It's not just like, you know, a group of barely connected survivors that are all out for themselves like there is an actual okay anyway um so that's the chapter anything we didn't really touch on there but we would dive into more yeah i feel like we really touched on everything that i wanted to go on into as far as like structure and intrigue and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. um my question that i would want to pose is what does it mean that the animals don't change what does that mean are Mm -hmm. the animals like a representation of angelic forces where there isn't this changing ability that they like Mm -hmm. a lot of times like people will parallel the human versus angel difference of free will or the human versus angel difference of change uh changeability things like that Mm -hmm. like what what is being represented here by this idea that the animals don't change? And why is it that the badger can so tightly hold on to this confidence and knowledge that Caspian should be their king mm-hmm. when he remembers things yeah. that happened a thousand years ago? Like, is this an inborn, like... Yeah, genetic memory. Genetic memory Which that would be he has? really interesting. 
But at the same time, the Narnian, the Narnian talking animals are capable of going back to wild ways and losing their ability to speak and becoming wild animals. Yes, they can go back to being wild. However, in none of the books thus far do we ever have, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't ever think we have a single instance of a beast choosing to be evil or choosing to be uh, bad in any way. Because we have examples of like, you know... But even some of the birds are on her side. Some of the trees are on her side. But are they conscripted? Like, is it kind of like a tundra situation where they don't have a choice to be? I don't know, but... Yeah. Because we talk about, like, the bad dwarves and, like, you know, how, how there's good yeah, dwarves and bad dwarves. Yeah, all of the creatures present at Aslan's murder mm-hmm. are kind of described as more of specific kinds of creatures, I yeah. guess, as opposed to... And, like, we have the giants. But or... the wolves follow her. Yeah, I, mean, I guess we have, we I guess have we the, the chief wolf, yeah. of the secret police. Yeah, Mogram. Hmm. And so we have the wolves that follow her. Yeah, I was trying to go for an angle of like the beast being more a representation of like the natural world and the natural world can't be evil. It just is what it is and it doesn't really change unless it's acted upon by an outside force. Okay. Lewis was a very early adopter of like climate change politics. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is what he's getting into. No, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, that kind of shot that theory down though with Mulgrim. Yeah. Darn. I thought I was getting somewhere with that. (laughs) I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, that's assuming the lore is consistent throughout all the books, which there's questions because things definitely change. Um, Anyway, yeah. Um, I briefly wanted to hit on the fact that uh, Cornelius casts, like, a magical sleep spell. And, like, despite the fact that he's, like, a third-rate wizard, like, at least he can pull off a sleep spell. Like, don't insult him. Like, he can, (laughs) you know, that's not hard. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm intrigued as to where, like, King Miraz falls on things like magic as a concept. Like, whether or not magic is something that is known to the Telmarines or embraced by the Telmarines. Because we have the idea of, like, prophecy being embraced by the Arkenlanders. And we have this idea of Tash being this god figure that would fight, like... In the in the lore of the Calermine, uh-huh. I want to know what the lore of the Telmarines is. Whether magic exists within their construct, whether they have a god, or because they obviously like Caspian is being taught about the conjunction of the planets as these planets are a thing. But uh-huh. is that part of Telmarine lore, or is that part of old Narnian lore that Cornelius is introducing to Caspian? These are questions I want to know. I want to know more about these invading cultures. Yeah, um, see if we ever get any more information on that. Uh, I think in the last chapter, we do mention the Telmarines having magicians. And, like, there being magicians who do something. I'd have to go back and look through the chapter to actually find that. So it wasn't about the Telmarines specifically, but there is a line in the last chapter uh, where Cornelius is talking and says, You can be kind to the poor remnants of the dwarf people like myself. You can gather learned magicians and try to find a way of awakening the trees once more. So magicians are a thing that are out there. Okay, okay. Um, but not necessarily associated with any particular group, at least as far as that yeah, says. Uh, yeah. But there is good magic in the world. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, that isn't just directly sourced from Aslan or Father Christmas. Yeah. Anyway, so there's a chapter. Okay. Cool. 
hit on everything uh, if we want to go ahead and jump into our rewrite section. Sure, sure, sure. So as we read through the chapter, not only do we do a five-sentence summary of the chapter using the chapter's own words, but we also try to rewrite the chapter. And so we take five sentences from the chapter and try to create a new story Whoa. using the chapter's words and try to reimagine something about this world. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chris, I went first in the uh, summary. Why don't you go first in the rewrite? I will do that. Uh, spoilers, I got another tree story for you. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. trees? Yeah, trees. My recurring trees? theme. Uh-huh. You've got a tree chapter. You've got a tree summary in every book so far. I, I think. do. It's uh, you know, just one of those things they love me for. Uh, anyway, here's my rewrite. Tree after tree rose up before them in the dusk and was only just avoided. He remembered that he was, after all, a Telmarine, one of the race who cut down trees wherever they could and were at war with all wild things. And though he himself might be unlike other Telmarines, the trees could not be expected to know this. Low voices were speaking close at hand. We don't forget. We can't let it live. Ooh. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So you got the trees. You got the trees as a very ominous force present. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. Here's mine. Mine is also a little ominous. Okay. Just a little ominous. Okay. Just a t- teeny bit ominous. It's all the same thing, said Nickabrick. It would betray us. It would be murdering a guest. Kill it, said another. Then, almost too suddenly to hurt, and yet it did hurt him too. Something struck Caspian on the forehead, and he knew no more. Ooh, okay. So you're just doing a slight rewrite where they actually decide to kill him. Yep, yep. Okay. Well, book's over, guys. I don't know where else we're going from there. Caspian's dead. (laughs) Hope the Pevensies can pull something off. Yep, figure it out. (laughs) Cool. Um... So that being said, if we want to jump into some baseless speculation, I got something. All right. Something interesting. Okay. So follow me on this one. I got a thread. So we it. have a segment called Baseless Speculation. Okay, okay, sorry. <laughs> I got Chris, too excited. As Chris has never read the books before, mm-hmm. um, he is kind of taking the lead on this. But, you know, I get to engage with it as well, where we baselessly speculate based on what we've currently read what might be coming in the book now i've read them before so i have a little more information about what actually might be coming but it's also been 15 years and i have no idea yeah what i do and don't remember correctly so that said chris tell us some of your baseless speculation points. so here's the thread we got to follow so we established that the king in arkenland right now is named king nain nine something like that but it's spelled n-a-i-n mm-hmm. we know from previous books that the naming convention for boys in arkenland is that the older one is named something like usually a one syllable name and then the younger boy like is named Kor or dar yes and then a younger boy has the uh suff- the suffix I-N attached to the end of that name. Like Darren or Corin. Yes. So we can surmise that King N-A-I-N has an older brother, King Na, maybe. We don't know if he's a king, but there's a Na somewhere, and he's the older brother, so Isn't why would... Isn't that the chemical element for sodium? You're jumping ahead. You I'm always sorry. do this. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't think that you were actually going this yes, far. I'm going that far. Okay. So we have Na, and he's the older boy, so, you know... What happened to him? He should have been king. So obviously, 
maybe he was king, something happened to him, his younger brother had to take over, mm-hmm. or he abdicated the throne. Now, as you correctly pointed out, Na chemical symbol for sodium, salt. And, you know, if we kind of follow that thread and pull out a little bit, we can come up with all sorts of things, like king salt. The phrase that jumped to mind for me was old salt. Like an old salt is a term for like an older sailor. Like, you know, people who are like the, you know, the old guy who shouldn't be on the... Go ahead. Sorry, I'm raising my hand so that I don't get in trouble if I interrupt. Oh, go ahead. So was... He one of the lords sent by Miraz to the to the one of the seven lords. Possibly, like was Arkenland at like some recent point a a territory of mm-hmm. Narnia? Yeah, I was I was thinking that could be possible. And in the course of Miraz's usurping, the lines were cut between them, and mm-hmm. there's no longer a connection. Yeah, or you know he was just a sailor by by trade. And, like, he abdicated the throne, you know, when things started getting real bad in Narnia, when Miraz took power, and he was just like, you know what, not waiting on this, I'm gonna get on my ship and I'm gonna cross the sea, see if I can't find Aslan and the Emperor. Ooh, maybe he was the captain of the ship that the Seven Lords were on. Possibly. Interesting, interesting, okay, okay. okay. And, like, he's got some ulterior motives where he's just like, I gotta go find Aslan, tell him about this situation, and, you know, get him back here to fix these things. So, huh. so okay. maybe at some point King Na comes back, he's got Aslan with him, yeah. and, like, things go down. So that's my speculation. <laughs> you were on the same page with me, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, <laughs> absolutely. All right. You got anything you want to add to that? or No, it's a fascinating <laughs> idea, but we also don't know what Caspian's father's name was. It's true, but we I, I do have to correct myself because I did get into a little bit of baseless speculation on Caspian and th- talking about Caspian and whatnot. Maybe he's an Arkenlander. However, Caspian does end with an A-N and not an I-N. Correct. So it's probably not a Arkenlander uh, name. name. No, yeah. So, but gotta, where's King Caspi? Yep. Yeah. But King Na, though, that's... Who knows? But what if what if what if Nain is just a name and there is a younger brother Nainan? I yeah. mean, it would be odd considering the way the convention has been established. But okay, anyway, we just really want a story about Arkenland and not actually about <laughs> Narnia. Is what we need. We need like some some royal intrigue and drama from Arkenland. Maybe that could be our rewrite that we do when we're, when we're talking about rewriting. Uh... Chronicles of Narnia as an adult book series. Tell us more yeah. about the lore of yeah. Arkenland. We could get real into Arkenland and, you know, political intrigue and what goes on there. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. Mm-hmm. And that one talking bear that went wild and then talked again. What's his deal? It's reversible. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, that's what I got. Okay, so. yeah. No, I didn't really have anything else um, other than this kind of very dark imagery of a child being, like being discussed in front of him whether or not he was going to be murdered like Mm -hmm. why do you have to talk so unhandsomely (laughs) um anyway so that said anything else that you wanted to dig into or touch on no i think we're good uh next chapter is what is next chapter called part of my exit okay and then i won't say that go ahead and take us out if you want all right Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. As always, if you're interested in interacting with us in another format, 
uh, you know, besides just listening to us because that's totally interacting with us. Mm -hmm. If you want to actually interact with us, you can do so at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. We want more friends. At Chronically Pod (laughs) on Twitter. Or you can email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. Your fan art of the trees uh, discussing the murder of Caspian. I was going to say an extreme close-up of a badger. Oh, yeah. It's like you wake up and see His nose just right in your face. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you can also um, support us if you have the means financially to support us at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast, where to this point you receive nothing in return. But I got plans. All right, but Chris, <laughs> Chris got plans. Uh-huh. Um, so all of that said, uh, this has been Chapter 5, and next week we will discuss Chapter 6, The People That Lived in Hiding. Ooh. Join us next week for that. And in the meantime, plan, uh, on the subject of plans, Chris is currently in the writing uh, room Working towards creating a new podcast. We'll give you more information as it's available. Mm-hmm. Um, but just tease in the idea that there might be some new content coming from Chronically. Um, the Chronically Network. The chron- <laughs> from us. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that said. Mm-hmm. I'm trying for a Halloween release of the first episode. Okay. This is going to be a, it's going to be a spooky narrative podcast. Okay. Fascinating. So theoretically, October 31st, we're going to, we're going to drop the first episode of that. All right. We'll see how that goes. Cool. This is news to me. (laughs) (laughs) So all of that said, never mock a man, save when he is stronger than you, then as you please. And never use your sword to cut loose your dwarf. Bye. See ya. Dear Prince, you must have this cap. Dear Prince, you must leave this castle at once. And so... Dear Prince, you must leave this castle at once and go seal your fortune in this wide world. One more time. I need to write better. Yeah, you do. Chicken and grapes. I like that those are the wallet <laughs> meats you go for. Yep. Grape is my favorite wallet meat. Grapes. The wallet meat of choice for the modern American man. Horns and halibuts, though. Like, uh-huh. the seven lords went out to sea. There, there's fish. The mm-hmm. horn, Susan's horn. Like, are all of these exclamations actually plot relevant? Yep. Also, sirens. Maybe they're code words. These are, like, code phrases the resistance uses to uh, communicate things. So, like, things. beards and bedsteads was actually a test to see if these humans were aware of the resistance. Yes. And they failed. Uh huh. And so now he's like, okay, you're all right. Mm-hmm. But bulbs and bolsters. Yep. Who knows? We could we could come up the whole like. Aren't bolsters like a part of like a, a bed? Like I was thinking bedsteads <laughs> and bolsters for some reason. Yeah. Bolsters sounded like a bed frame thing. I don't know. Chairs and chimichangas. Whistles and whirligags. Whirligigs.
I'm going to be coming up with a whole list of these to throw in and sprinkle in through the podcast as hey. like a, uh, you know, exclamations. Rings and rockets. <laughs> exclamations are, uh, you know, like salt is a flavor enhancer. Uh-huh. Exclamations are sound enhancers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Language enhancers. enhancers. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Conversationalist seasoning. 